0: Um, Okay, if you have a Bible, um, you can open it to John chapter, well, I already told you what to open it to, so I shouldn't tell you again, but I will. It's John chapter 12, and we're going to be starting in verse 37 this morning. I'm going to read just one line before that that sets it up, and then we'll read all the way to John 12, verse 50, so verse 37 through 50, and we'll put it up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and return, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they didn't confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes, not in me, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Good morning.
1: We are at a mile marker in the Gospel of John and I say that because uh, I actually didn't know this, but, but reading a few commentaries, um, a lot of scholars say that you can really look at John as uh, two big sections, uh, they, and they refer to them as books. In the first section of uh, John's Gospel, uh, they call it the Book of Signs, and uh, this is all about Jesus' public ministry. Uh, obviously, the book is about just that, the signs that Jesus did uh, during his public ministry in order to... Uh, Show people who he was—that he was the son of God, as he said he was—and that so the things that he taught about then would be believed. As we're told, is his reason uh, for doing that. And the passage we're looking at this morning is, is a pretty cool one because it is the passage that ends the book of signs. Next week, as we move on the Gospel of John, we will move into what is called uh, the book of glory. And that section of John is all about looking to uh, Jesus' return to glory with the Father. And so it talks about not his public ministry, but actually what we'll see is it's Jesus and the disciples, uh, Jesus teaching them and talking to them uh, before he uh, uh, is killed, crucified, resurrected, and returns to the Father. So here we get... What is essentially a summation, a culmination of the public ministry of Jesus? His public ministry is done, and we get two voices here talking about what has happened in that time as a result of that ministry. We get both John's. Uh, understanding of what took place and what is the result of Jesus's public ministry. And then we get uh, the second part of this passage, Jesus's own words about what all this means and what he wants us to know as this finishes up. And it's an interesting way that this passage starts because John starts off in verse 37 telling us that though Jesus had done so many signs before them, they still didn't believe in him. And this just seems downright basically impossible, right? That Jesus could have done all of these things. Jesus could have healed the lame, cured the sick. He could have fed 5,000 people with barely anything, walked on water, done all of these miraculous signs, taught the truth that he taught, and people heard it and believed it and accepted it, and yet they did not believe in him. That seems crazy, right? It seems even crazier when we think that John's whole reason for writing this gospel, as he tells us at the end again, is that we would believe. And even more so crazy that Jesus tells us that the reason he's done all these signs, the reason he's done his public ministry, he tells us all the way back with the very first sign he does in John, that he's done it so that we would what? We would believe. And if there's anybody that should be able to say, I'm doing something with a specific purpose in mind and I'm going to accomplish that purpose, it would be like the Son of God, right? Like, he would be the one that if he says, Hey, I'm, I'm doing this so people would believe, we would expect that we would get to the end of Jesus' public ministry of doing all these signs, and there would just, John would be like, Hey, guess what? Like, everybody believed in him. But John so matter-of-factly just says, just so you guys know, and you aren't mistaken, Jesus is done with this aspect of who he is in his time here on earth, and people didn't believe like you would have thought they would have. It's not a very comfortable idea, uh, because we have certain hopes in our own life, and, that is, and this kind of maybe shatters us a little bit. I think we walk around hoping that if someone like Jesus were to show up and do the kind of things that Jesus did, and if we were just to see the miraculous wonders that Jesus performed, well we would believe in someone like that. We would believe in something like that. It would be easy for us to give our lives to it. We hope that we are inclined to be just that, to be believers. We want to be believers. Yet it's a little scary that there was a group of people that Jesus did all this stuff in front of and they walked away and they're like, yeah, I'm not really sure I believe in them," Because those are people just like we're people. But we have this deep hope, this deep desire to be believers because we are all searching for something, wanting something, feeling need for something. And that is just very plainly put, we're going to talk a lot about this this morning. We have a desire for a better life. We have a desire for a better life, a life beyond what is currently in front of us, what we're experiencing now. And so we want to believe that that is possible and we want to believe in something that will help us get there. We have a hope to be believers. I, um, a few years ago, I got really into watching uh, documentaries about uh, rock climbing. Uh, just climbers in general, and uh, so I, I would watch it. and It wasn't necessarily like for like rock climbing; that was pretty cool. But um, it, it was it was specifically documentaries about people that were trying to climb places that had never been climbed before. I, I would watch documentaries about Everest and stuff. But there were certain ones where they, they were doing something that had been thought unconquerable. They, they were pushing themselves to the limits. They were actually like doing these death-defying things. They were taking their own life into their hands to do this thing. And and what fascinated in me about it wasn't the rock climbing part, it was the human angle of it all. It was the fact that there was these people, as you would watch these documentaries and learn about them, most of them had pretty normal lives. They, they actually had lives that you'd look at and be like, wow, they've, they've really got a lot. They've got a lot going on. You would learn, they, had, they had wives, they had families, they, they, they had a house. Like all this stuff that we would look at and be like, man, that is that is what I want. If, if I could have that in my life, if I could just have the life that they have, I would be so content, and yet there were these people, it was so fascinating to watch that they had all this stuff and yet they felt this deep desire in them to do something more, that something else was out there for them than what they had just there. And it was, it was so propelling in their life that they would actually like risk the other stuff they already had. They were, they were like, I don't feel as though I can be complete unless I do this thing that nobody else has ever done. I feel like there is something more out there for me fascinated me. And the reason is, is that I can identify with that. And I think we all can. Now, we may not go rock climbing and try to climb somewhere that we may end up dying doing it. But the fact is, is that we are all on a journey. We, we are all trying to get somewhere that we realize in our life, in the depth of who we are, there, there's this realization and this owning of the fact that this, here, now, today, our life as it is in this moment is not necessarily the destination. This is not all that there is. And this makes a whole lot of sense to us that we would feel this way and feel compelled to search out some other summit that's out there that for us to stand on that we've never been at before and maybe nobody else has because scripture actually says this in ecclesiastes it tells us literally that eternity is written into our hearts that god has placed the longing for eternity within us that we actually long to be in heaven with god we're actually told that things can and should be better and we want to believe that. We want to believe that so badly. But it's really hard. We look at our lives and we want to believe it can be better. I, I, I can be better. Like this, this isn't the finished product of, of who I am. We look at our world and we're like, it definitely can be better, right? We, we, we notice just a, a lot of things that are wrong with it. We're like, it can be better. The problem is, That, as much as we want to believe those things, life is difficult, life is hard, it wears us down. And the reality, as much as we may hope that we are believers, we are in fact skeptics. We look at our lives and we say, I know what God promises, I know He says it can be better, I, I hope that it's that way, but in reality, I've tried to be better. I've tried to work on these things. I've worked really hard and it just doesn't, I don't get anywhere and I don't see it happening. And so we look at other people and we're like, yeah, I mean, I I would like to be like them, but that's not what I've experienced in my own life. That's not who I feel like I can be. And so maybe it would be better. I wouldn't be as frustrated if I just kind of, God, let's give up the charade and this is just who I am and we can move on with this thing. We look at our world and we're like, there's definitely no way it's getting better. If anything, it's getting worse. And so we start to wonder if that's even possible. And what ends up happening is we have this hope, we want to believe, yet we find ourselves being skeptical about is it even true? Is it even possible? And we just find out that we're exhausted about it all. It's better just to like lower our heads and go about every day and just say, let's like settle and let's settle hard. And then maybe we can be content and not be so worn out. But we're exhausted because there's this this thing in us that we feel out there that we're like, okay, it can be this way, it should be this way, and yet we don't see it taking place, it taking hold. We feel like we can have a better life, we feel like we can maybe be a better person, but we're starting to wonder will that ever really happen? We hope we're inclined to be a believer. We want to believe, and yet we find it so difficult. And that's why John takes us to Isaiah 53. He says, look, just so you know, Jesus got done with his public ministry, and there were people that didn't believe. And it's just like this other guy's ministry. He, go, he takes us to the prophet Isaiah, and he's talking to a, relig- a, a Jewish community that would have understood Isaiah known about Isaiah. And he says, if you know about Isaiah, you know that God expected the people not to believe. He says there, quoting Isaiah 53, it says, Lord, who has believed what he heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? God is not surprised that we have difficulty believing. God is not shocked that it is a struggle for us. That was actually most, if you look at a lot of the prophets that God sent out, he tells them at the get-go, hey, just so you know, people aren't gonna believe what you have to say. There's this interesting interaction that Jesus has uh, with a father in uh, the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 9. It, this father comes up to Jesus, and he has a son who is possessed by a demon. And there's kind of a, a backstory that's given, and, and, and this father's talking to Jesus about it, and he tells him that the, his son has been possessed since he was a boy. And uh, basically, you can, under, you can kind of read between lines and, and figure out they have probably tried everything that they possibly could. They started out with a lot of belief and a lot of hope that something would happen. It would be taken care of. There, there was a cure out there. There was healing to be had nothing's worked to this point. And he comes to Jesus just desperate and yet exhausted and probably wondering, you know, skeptical, like, I I just, I don't even think that this is a possibility to be dealt with anymore. And Jesus' response to him is amazing. Jesus tells him, says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. What's incredible about this, it's a two-part Response. He could have just said all things are possible to him believe, who believes and just left it at that. But Jesus says, if you can believe, Jesus identifies, he empathizes with us that belief is difficult and hard for us in our lives. That no matter how optimistic we are, how much of a glass-half-full type of person we like to claim we can be. We are all somewhere in our lives a skeptic. And if we follow Jesus long enough, if we walk after him, there are going to be times and things in our life that we look at and we're like, I don't really think that that's possible, at least for me. Following after Jesus is going to touch the skeptic bone in all of us. And the man's response to Jesus is incredible as well, because it's so authentic. And, And he cries out to Jesus, he says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Help me with this thing that is so difficult for me to do. I don't know how many of you come in today just exhausted, I imagine it's probably the majority of us feeling like things should be better. There are are things not right and we want them to be better and yet we've seen time and time again how it just doesn't seem to happen like we think it should. And it's getting harder and harder for us to believe that better is even a possibility. So why not just accept the way it is now, accept the way we are now. But I want to encourage you in that The Bible is all about and paints a picture that it is a struggle for us to believe. Just look at the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis is a book about how nobody in there could believe God was going to do what he said he would do. That's what that entire book is about. The struggle that we have. Because that is deep in us. Because of who we are, somewhere in our DNA, because of the effects of sin, we are all skeptics and we look at them and we say, I just don't know if it's really that way. As much as we would like to, I've been burnt by that before. And this is only heightened in us because of the world we live in today. Because we are actually educated now, encouraged to be skeptics, to question. That we actually have every right to disagree with the expert. There's a book written a couple years ago by a guy named Tom Nichols, and the title of his book is amazing. It's called The Death of Expertise. And his whole point and what he talks about is that in our world today, nobody's basically an expert. That we look at ourselves as having the right to disagree with and challenge people that have devoted their entire life to trying to understand a certain topic. So somebody comes up to you and talks to you about you know, economics and you, you, know, you, you, you watched a business show once and so you can disagree with them and say, hey, no, I know more about it than you do. Nichols has this amazing quote. He says, these are dangerous times. Never have so many people had access to so much knowledge and yet been so resistant to learning anything. And I think that's a quote that like, we can all agree with, right? That like this is the world we live in. That like... It, everybody knows everything and anybody that has an opinion can can disagree with anybody else that has an opinion and nobody is changing anybody's opinion right like I think it's probably a safe thing to say we can all say that's the problem with the world and if that could just change if people would just be willing to learn from one another a lot of issues would be solved right things could be maybe better The problem is, is that this is the culture we live in. And so before saying, hey, everybody else needs to be willing to learn stuff, we need to look at ourselves and say, I live in this culture too. So probably I'm not willing to learn anything either. That actually we've gotten so skeptical about things that we say the way that we see it is the right way and we have nothing to learn from anyone else. And the problem about this is At some point, this will carry over into your relationship with God. Believing that there is nobody that is an expert that can speak into your life and say, hey, I see these things. You need to do these things. Trust me, this is the right way to go about this. Before long, we'll no longer think God's able to do that either. Before long, we'll look at God and we'll say, who are you to tell me how it should be? I don't believe that. I don't see that to be the case. Yeah, I hope for that. It didn't turn out that way. So apparently that's not reality. We get to a place where God no longer is even able to speak into our lives. And we lose all hope of ever believing that there's something more. That this thing that is actually written into us, eternity, heaven, being with God is even a possibility. And when it carries over into our view of God, it opens us up to another danger. Which is exactly what John wants to talk about and he uses again the quote from Isaiah. And that is, we hope that our skepticism at the world, at authorities, at God himself, won't damage too greatly our relationship with God we hope that we can at the very least stay neutral and that is when god comes along and he says something and we read his word in scripture and you know it just it's hard for us to believe and we're kind of skeptical about it we would like at the very least to be able to like agree to disagree with god Okay, God, like I see what you're saying. That kind of makes sense. I don't, I don't think that's necessarily true for my life. So, like, wouldn't like I don't want to like I don't want to dethrone you. You're still God. I get that, but like this certain thing, that's not for me. And so, like, let's just call it a truce. Let's agree to disagree. We'd like to stay neutral. We'd like to be able to like walk in on a Sunday morning and be like, yeah, that that sermon wasn't necessarily for me. So like, we'll just like, we'll put that one like on the trash heap and maybe next week we'll actually like apply to my life. That's where John says it's it's not even possible. And that's why he brings up then Isaiah 6. We're there in Isaiah. It says, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. This is uh, one of those passages that uh, people struggle with. It's a lot like in uh, Exodus where uh, Pharaoh is given chance after chance, right, to uh, see that God is God, proclaim it, release the Israelites. And then at some point it says, God, God says, I, I've hardened Pharaoh's heart. And people, people really struggle with that because it sounds like God didn't even give Pharaoh a chance. But the point is that is made with Pharaoh, that's also made here in Isaiah, that Jesus is showing us is that God does appeal to us through his love and through his grace time and time and time again. But given enough times of rejecting God, there's going to come a place that we are so hardened to hearing the truth and the love and the grace that is in the message of Jesus Christ that we won't even be able to accept it if we wanted to. We would like to hope that we can hear the truth of Jesus, so that we can hear the gospel and we can in some way at least stay neutral, when the reality is we are always biased, When we hear anything, we either accept it or we reject it. We are either, when we hear the gospel, we are either, we have to make a choice. Will we move towards Jesus Christ or will we move away from Jesus Christ? There is no staying where we are. Are we going to join him? Are we going to take a step towards joining him or will we move towards opposing him. It is impossible to hear the gospel and stay where you are. It is a dangerous thing to show up to church on a Sunday morning because you cannot hear God's word. You cannot come face-to-face with Jesus Christ and walk away unchanged. You will either be changed for the better or you will be changed for the worse. But one way or another, you cannot hear the truth that God has and stay the same. You have to, every time you come into contact with him, make a conscious decision. Will I move towards him and join him or will I move away from him? We have two choices and only two choices. Neutral isn't one of them. You can either go the way of discipleship or you can go the way of revolutionary. You can either be a disciple, and I love this definition where John Ortberg, he just says, a disciple says, I must have the reality that the gospel promises in my life right now. That when you hear the truth of Jesus, you say, I need that. Whatever it is, yes, I'm taking that next step. I'm moving closer to Jesus Christ. I'm aligning myself with him. I am going to be biased in terms of saying that Jesus Christ is the way and he is what I need that you hear it and you say, I've got to have it and I've got to have it now and I'm willing to do what it takes. I'm willing to give up the good things I have now. I'm willing to put them up and, and bring them into question. I'm willing to leave my family behind if I have to, to reach this summit because it's the thing that I need. It's what's written into me and without it, I'm going to be incomplete. Or, We can go the way of a revolutionary and the danger is, is that we are all skeptics and skeptics are inclined to be revolutionaries. Skeptics look at the world and they say, yeah, it's not that great and I think I could actually do better. And so we start to question things. We start to overthrow, throw things off, I should say, that we don't think are the right way and that we could, we see it differently. Uh, much of the, the world we live in is, is based in this idea. I, I don't know if you guys, uh, I don't know if you're old enough to remember um, the 1960s. Anybody here remember that? All right. It's a really long time. It's a really long time ago. Um, The 1960s are a pretty polarizing time. You either, if you lived through it, I think, um, you either look at the 1960s as like the greatest time ever or you look at it as the worst decade ever, right? Um, it's probably somewhere in between as most things are. The thing, the thing about that particular decade that, 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 that started something that has shaped the culture that we lived in, thus shaped us, is that there were people that, that saw that there were authorities in the world that actually perpetuated and permeated injustices. And, and so they started moving towards saying, like, we have to overthrow oppressive authorities that, that are culminated in racial injustice and some of these other things. And so there were movements actually began there that were, like, based in, like, good ideas. But as, as people tend to do, we, we don't know how to limit ourselves and we tend to take things to the extreme And so now we live in a culture where it's not just about uh, throwing off oppressive authority. It's just about throwing off all authority. And that any authority breaks down my ability to to be me, to to be free. That, That we are skeptical. We have a hard time believing that an authority figure can be over us and know what's best for us. And have our best interests in mind as they share that. And so being a revolutionary, we want to throw these things off. And so we throw off all authority. And thus, when we throw off all authority, we throw off any of the markers that we ever had for getting to this place that we're trying to get to. And that that is eternity. that, That is heaven. And we get to a place where we know better. We know better than everyone else. And we know better, even more importantly, better than God, morality, justice, economics, anything that God has to say about anything, we know better. Or we have something to add. It's not always even that we just throw off God and we say, God's not God anymore and I'm God. It's that we, we, we see certain things that God's Word says, certain things that God has to say about certain areas of our life. And we're like, you know what, God, I don't know if I believe that totally in this particular circumstance. So I, I'm going to add a little bit. You know, if God would have just talked about that subject a little bit more, I think things would have been better. So I'm going to add this to what He had to say, we start revolutionizing, reshaping our world, not as God sees it, but as we see it. But if we give it enough time, rejecting God enough times, keep moving away step by step, we will get to a place where we want to just get rid of the idea of God as an authority of our life altogether. Frederick Ingalls has this quote that should be a warning to us where he says, the fate of the revolutionary is to wake up and realize the revolution you wish for has come and it's nothing like what you expected. We live our lives skeptical of the idea that things can be better at least the way God or anyone else in authority has spelled out and so we need to make it Our own. We need to find our own way to freedom. We need to find our own way to eternity. And if Engel's words are true at all, which I think they are, we're going to wake up one day and find the freedom we search for has resulted in something very different. Because we hope that we're able to find freedom on our own. We think we should be able to, because who knows better what we need than us? But the reality is, the only thing we are good at finding ourselves in is slavery. It's the only thing we know. And that's what Jesus' words here are about. That's what Jesus is talking to us about. He tells us, he says, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. Jesus says, it's not me you're rejecting. It's in fact God. That, that when, when you choose to, to walk towards me and follow me, or, or you choose to go the other way and, and question what it is that I've said and where I'm going, you're rejecting God himself. Jesus says, I've also come from that place, so I'm the authority. Like, I know where it is you need to go. See, we're all trying to get somewhere that we've never been before. We are trying to find freedom and we've never been free. We're trying to get to heaven. And as far as I know it, none of you have been there before. We're trying to figure out how eternity works and we have no idea. We just have this idea that's been put inside at the center of who we are and we know we need it and we know we need to get there, but we have no idea how to. Jesus tells us, he says, I'm the authority, I am the cure, I am the answer, I am the hope for the freedom you seek. All we know about is the here and now. And what we're searching for is something better than here and now. I've always wondered about this, where Jesus talks about. It. He says this in a few other places, something similar to this, where he says, look, I, I, don't, I didn't come to judge. It's not me that judges. And I'm like, how does that make sense? Like, yeah, you kind of do. And what Jesus is telling us, he says, I, I, don't, I haven't come to judge. I've come to save the world. But it is my words that judge those who don't believe in me. It's like if you went to the doctor and, and you had a disease, you had cancer. And the doctor said, good news, it's curable, and we have a treatment for it. And he said, you know what, I heard there's a lot of side effects, and I have a really hard time. I don't believe in that stuff, I'm pretty skeptical about it, and so I'm, I'm not going to do that. And the doctor said, no, 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 it's, it's proven, it is 100% effective, you take this, you will be healed. And he said, no, 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 I'm, I'm okay. Okay. Well, it's not the doctor that condemns you, but hearing the hope, hearing the cure, hearing what it is, where you need to go, and you reject that, well, that does condemn you. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, it's like if you're trying to get somewhere and, somebody, and you've never been there and somebody says, well, I've got a map, I can give you directions, and you're like, okay, no, that's okay, I'll figure it out myself. You're condemning yourself to get lost, and I guarantee you, you're going to get lost. We're trying to get somewhere we've never been. And all we know is here and now. And what's more and what's frustrating, what is holding us down, what, what, the consternation we feel, the exha- exhaustion that we live in is because all that our culture, our world has to offer us is a list of things that we shouldn't do and not how we get beyond One of the greatest pieces of literature that's ever been written, and it's fitting that we talk about this because we just celebrate our independence, is the Declaration of Independence. And it's so amazing because it's written in positive language. Most declarations like that are written in negative language. They say you shouldn't do this, shouldn't have that, all that kind of stuff. It starts off, the Declaration of Independence starts off and says you need Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, you get that stuff. And it's like, yes, that sounds so good to us. But then it's like, okay, but how do we get that? And it has nothing to say about that. We know what we want, but we have no idea how to get it. Why? Because we've never been there before. And then everything written after that is a list of don'ts. And that is frustrating. This weekend uh, at my house, we spread mulch. And um, I'd spread mulch a a bunch of times uh, before in my life, but I'm telling you, you have never experienced spreading mulch until you have done it uh, with a three and a half and a two-year-old. It is a totally different experience. Um, This is a picture of us taking a juice break. And uh, that's what it looked like. Don't be fooled. A minute after I took this photo, we were having to say, don't water the plants with the juice. Um, And that's what, spreading mulch with a two and three and a half year old sounds like Uh, it was, we showered our neighborhood with a chorus of don't dig that up and mulch doesn't go in the sprinkler head and leave your baby sister alone and a whole bunch of get that out of your mouth. What are you thinking? Um, It was, it, it was, it was a different experience. And every now and then, Uh, in in, in the midst of these uh, don't do that, my wife would take the time, because she's a better parent than I am, to come alongside them and say, hey, why don't you guys try to do this thing instead? And I realized watching this that there are essentially two levels to parenting. The first level of parenting is the don't do that level. And this is an essential level of parenting, because if you have ever parented or you ever think about parenting, I'll just let you know your kids are going to do some really stupid stuff that could really hurt them. And don't do that said in a deep dad voice will save their lives a bunch of times. And, uh, and this is actually, though, the thing is, this is also the easiest level of parenting. It doesn't take a whole lot of effort to just simply say, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. But it's not hard to imagine how frustrating it has to be for a two-year-old to live under and only be related to in a don't-do-that kind of way, right? That they have this thing inside of them that they need to do, all this pent-up energy that, that needs to go somewhere and it needs to do something. They don't even know how to express it. They don't, know, they don't know what to say what it is they need to do. They just got to do something, and they're trying to do that, and it feels, it feels like what they're made to do, and yet all they're constantly being told is, don't do that, now don't do that, now don't do that, now don't do that. Can you, can you think how, how difficult that has to be to live life that way and just a don't do that kind of frame of mind? This is what our world meets us with. This is all our world has to offer us because we're seeking this thing, this thing called eternity, and none of us have ever been there. So all we know to tell each other is just don't do these things. Yeah, we we know we need that, but we don't know how to get it. So just don't do stuff. Don't do certain things and maybe we'll find our way there. And the consternation, the exhaustion, the discontent we feel is living in the frustration of seeking heaven and not having any markers for where to go. Having this thing feel so natural in us that we need to do it, and we don't even know how to always express what it is. And yet what we're always, the only thing we're met with is don't do that. And that's why the second level of parenting is so important, but it's so hard. And, and that is the how about this instead level. It's where you come along and you say, I know, because I'm a parent. I've been there. I can see what it is you need. I can see what it is you're trying to do, where you're trying to go. I get that. I've been in that place. So here, let me help you find some constructive, good, healthy ways to get to the destination you're seeking. And this can only happen from someone who's been there already. And this is the truth we need to know. We need to understand because we are trying to get somewhere we've never been. And the only way to get where you have never been is to follow someone that has been there already. And that's why Jesus comes along, and he tells us at the very end of this passage, he says, I know that this commandment is eternal life. The thing you're seeking, the freedom you're hoping for, I've been there. I know the way. Let me be the marker for you. Follow after me, and we'll get there together. When our lives are lived in the midst of skepticism where we've thrown off everything hoping to find the freedom that we so long desire and yet we end up in a place of slavery. We get to a place where we think all we have, the only option we have is ourselves, the only option we have are are, are just these bottom of the barrel options. Jesus is telling us, he says, the best option It's to not wait around for someone else that doesn't know how to get to where it is you need to go. Looking, placing some faux authority in your life that you just hope maybe turns out okay and they stumble across the secret to eternal life. The secret to a better life. But actually what we need is to be proactive and look for an authority we can follow. An authority that actually is life-giving. And that's why Jesus wants us to know at the end of his public ministry, even in the midst of people not believing, he says, that authority is me. And you can trust me because the place you're trying to get to, I've been there already. So follow me.